Welcome back to a brand new episode of Two Please. I'm your host Abhi. I'm your co-host Roy. <laughs> oh, fine. We fine. almost we, made it. we almost didn't record this episode. <laughs> not the first time. <laughs> yeah, it's not the first time. Oh, <laughs> uh, but time is worth nothing at all. <laughs> yeah, really. It's like how. Could you know we didn't record? Oh, cool! I, I, do you have any plans or any social life tomorrow evening? No, cool. We'll do this again tomorrow. <laughs> uh, Not just, this time. Yeah, just really speaks volumes of where we are personally. But anyway, we are back. Uh, how's it going? It's good. It's good. A little hot in Bangalore nowadays, but mm. other than that, it's good. Yeah, I don't even know what weather I'm in anymore. But you know what? And so, uh, but that's all besides the point. What are we talking about today, bro? So finally, after almost thirty episodes, episodes after thirty episodes, we've mm-hmm. uh, decided to finally venture into TV. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot to talk about in the world of television, but mm-hmm. uh, we've been almost snobbish enough not to. and uh, so today we decided let's get into tv and talk about what used to be the hottest property on television then turned to shit real fast <laughs> and i'm sure most of you already and realized by now what we're talking about we're going to be talking about the game of thrones the yes. television adaptations ranging from the year 2011 to 2019 so game of thrones has had a very uh, interesting tra- trajectory uh, since it what aired in back in all the way back in 2011 and a lot has been written about it uh since it's obviously adapted from the books by George R R Martin obligatory fuck you GRRN <laughs> <laughs> the man is well it took what 9 years for uh for for the series to conclude uh, 8 eight or 9 years right i'm sorry and yeah. um there's still no sign of winds of winter he wrote this the last book was written when the second season of the show was going on this the show is over hated forgotten this dude <laughs> has not come out with the next book <laughs> what well, there are two there are two books still remaining there's uh, winds of winter and uh, <laughs> and a dream of spring dream of spring and <laughs> <laughs> dream only <laughs> no chance yeah, no chance in her. i had no idea when this series is ever is going to finish if at all it is going to but you know what we're going to do our due diligence and probably run over the entire series and basically talk about the things we really liked about it before uh, talking about all the things we absolutely hated about it but before that you hmm. gloria sonson i am big it's the pictures that got small Okay, and we're we are back. back to talk about <laughs> a one our first ever television series, as we alluded to, Game of Thrones, uh, written by George R R Martin, adapted to the television screens by D B Weiss and David Benioff. Everyone associated with this show is now an asshole. Like exactly, like it's just <laughs> I just had the thought. So when you said J R R, I was like, 
asshole. <laughs> David Benioff, asshole. <laughs> guys, asshole. It's just, uh, it, it's, it's a masterclass in how to take a love property, actually take a, an almost unadaptable piece of literature, then do the Herculean task of adapting it and then burn it all down to the ground. Yeah. Uh, and I find Game of Thrones, like my history with Game of Thrones or rather my relationship with it, Uh, to be very confusing because me m- much like everyone uh, at the time absolutely fell in love with the series i think this was one of the few times i will uh, i will admit that i did not read the books until i um, started watching the series because in even though i was a big purveyor of high fantasy it was something i never really gravitated towards my um, general knowledge on high fantasy was limited to uh Terry Brooks um Brandon Sanderson um and of course Robert Jordan Tolkien you know the like but these were books that were very different or other the subject material was very different to what other fantasy authors were tackling and when it was adapted to the television screens for HBO nobody could um nobody could foresee the impact it was going to have yeah yeah i think um, i remember somewhere towards the end of 2011 suddenly there was this burst of chatter about mm-hmm. this new property that's come out and it was a you, it was a sort of pre- presage to the the cultural juggernaut that uh, game of thrones would go on to become over the next say 4 5 years mm-hmm. and i could see like you could see that that groundswell of people just every episode dropping and people just everyone was talking about it and and obviously 2011 i was in we were in college mm. and like ott and all was <laughs> too far down the line so <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we went the jack sparrow way mm-hmm. and uh, i remember i think eight or nine episodes again the num- episode number is key here mm-hmm. but i think it was the first seven or eight episodes that had come out i remember having downloaded those and catching up and i remember watching episode 9 the week it aired now for those of you who have watched game of thrones and i mean i'm here i'm fairly certain there's probably very few who haven't hmm. they know that the penultimate episode of every season is has something, something huge big that's, yeah has something yeah. huge and um, i remember when i was watching again i am not very big on fantasy generally hmm. the i'm i I've already said this before that I don't really like LOTR much. The other fantasy series of books that I've liked, although the movie was hot garbage, was uh, the Inheritance Aragorn. Cycle. Yes, about series. Yeah. Aragorn books. Uh, that's probably the only fantasy fantasy that I really liked. So for me, this was like, and even in terms of watching stuff, not not a very big, not a big purveyor of fantasy. So this was like, uh, I wouldn't say new experience, but okay, I was like, let's give it a shot. Let's see if we like it. Mm-hmm. and then you realize the more and more and you watch that the fantasy setting is just that it's a setting essentially game of thrones if i were to draw a modern parallel to it is a lot like succession mm-hmm. in the sense that at the heart of it it's a political drama about people who are each of are individually pursuing their own motives their um, relationships are transactional loyalties are fluid 
everyone is just looking to make the best uh, of the situation they're in try and spin things to their advantage now these are things which are agnostic of the setting it is in obviously stuff like dragons and magic and all of that are key plot elements and george uh, r r martin and benioff and weiss weave that into the story as and when as in as and when Minus those me. specific elements have to play a role where they influence the outcome of events but for the most part the fascination of game of thrones which caught everyone like by the by their cuff is mm. the fact that things keep changing you never know who's on whose side and uh, obviously uh, without spoiling too actually much. no spoil it come on if this is game of thrones if you ha- if you listen to game, game of thrones, of thrones podcast yeah. <laughs> and when you want us to not spoil the game of thrones it's on you yeah so mm. the final layer of what made game of thrones very riveting was uh, the first episode 9 the, uh, episode 9 of season 1 where uh, john B- uh, sorry sean bean's character of ned stark who up until that point for the preceding eight episodes is very clearly the protagonist of the show he's on the poster he's like yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's everywhere right yeah he, and he's probably the most he's the biggest name in of that cast so far at so, the point yes on that that point so all indicators uh showing that he is the heart and soul of the show and at the end of episode 9 chop goes the blade and off goes his head yeah and that's when you you have this whole this is moment of the rug being pulled under you as a viewer and you realize that no one is safe and that's when you're like you know what fuck this show is amazing i mean i mean for the right i remember the exact episode you're talking about so a lot happens with your know, thrones initially when you're setting up the board so to speak of, of with characters yeah. you're introduced to obviously to to ned stark who's supposed to be um the, the surrogate for the audience that right? he's kind of your he's the guy you're rooting for Yeah. uh and then you then you meet the queen you meet joffrey who who's instant asshole you see robert baratheon you you know there's there's a whole list of people who are generally unlikable maybe there are very few people who are likable and but they're extremely one note especially all the likable people in the show when you start off with are extremely one note and then it's the <laughs> it's the exploration of these characters over a certain course of time is what really brings the viewer in and that's what george r r martin actually alludes to he says when i think of writing characters i think of gardening where it's not like i'm trying to plot their entire trajectory i it's where i see them going naturally i let them grow i let uh, each character some characters arc go in certain places it may not always be a good place it may not always be a bad place but every character in the show is cloaked in gray and mm. at least for the most part most of them anyway there very few like whitest of the white um characters in here and which always makes a very compelling viewing now when episode 9 of season 1 drops and you you're waiting like you're waiting for somebody to stop the axe because that's just how you've been conditioned yeah, it's like no way right like, yeah no way um, is are they going to chop off the um, the main character's head in the first season itself uh and but then you hear the axe go and then it cuts and you and, and the birds uh fly away and then it cuts to black i think that's kind of where the episode ends yeah and at that point you think to yourself you know what okay he's probably still alive because you didn't see yeah. you didn't see the head <laughs> maybe netsa was just like psych so something you know where you just 
you feel uh, that's not that you know it's not the case but then in episode 10 uh, i think 10 rolls around and yeah. immediately his body is falling to the side is <laughs> yeah. them holding his head up like, yeah. okay cool yeah cool noted <laughs> all right uh, ned's dead baby uh, anyway so <laughs> and i think that's kind of the point where we all go okay shit this is now um this is i mean things are about to escalate because one you have so many characters in in a show just trying to vie for power for the position of power which is the iron throne and it's just the alliances and and the lack of trust that permeates through this entire show that makes it such gripping viewing like such like you just want to be completely invested in uh in the world that the show uh, inhabits and through the first season i'd say you can tell the first season has no budget because yeah. a few years earlier i think around, around 2007 hbo cancelled rome because it was getting too expensive for them to produce mm-hmm. and when game of thrones was announced it was a bit of a surprise because hbo was trying to stay away from period pieces just uh, uh, purely to the, due to the production costs alone but then they put their money in this there's not then there are no no real battles there's it's it's it has all the trappings of a fantasy epic without any of the tropes that make it a fantasy epic it's like a fantasy bottle season like a bottle Basically, episode yeah. over a season close settings but you know it's a fantasy world yeah like there is a war happening but exactly. like there's no big budget war sequences because that's not what the show is so stuff like where uh, rob stark captures jamie lannister in the first season at the battle of the whispering wood the battles never shown on screen so they've taken mm. these smart decisions to not include things which bump up your budget but at the same time narrate the story that needs to be narrated and maintain that fantasy setting but a quick word on uh, before we get in further into the show a quick word on the inspiration for the entire series as george r r martin wrote it is the war of the roses mm. which is this 15th century um, it's not entirely internecine but it's between two clans uh, mm-hmm. two supporting factions of the english throne uh, which Yorkshire fought, and Lancashire no? uh, Lancashire and 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 the Yorks yeah. um, who fought over control uh, of the king because if i remember henry the 6th was the king mm-hmm. and again uh, similar to robert baratheon in the show the king was not very focused he was uh, a feeble king very easily influenced and did not mm-hmm. have a very strong point of view so that sort of created a power vacuum which the yorks and the lancashires tried to swoop in and fill and in my reading of the events of the war of the roses it has the same grayness that game of thrones has in the sense that each side has committed atrocities and caused hurt to the other side wherein mm-hmm. you are like there are no clear protagonists or antagonists mm-hmm. there are just people reacting to events and obviously there's the whole eye for an eye people are going to take revenge when you kill somebody and of that course, cycle yeah. just keeps continuing for mm. a good i think four or five years the wars was just, were just people inflicting damage for some mm. previous hurt mm-hmm. and that whole shifting uh, of who's good who's bad i think george r r martin has i mean jokes apart uh, obviously the fact that he hasn't finished the series is, is stupid mm. the books that he has written are outstanding outstanding mm-hmm. i mean to the the level of complexity that he has brought in both I mean, moral morally and in terms of the world that he has built i mean 
fees for crows is a drag besides that i have no other complaints yeah fees for crows is a drag so is a dance of dragons dance of dragons mm-hmm. no? yeah yeah both are a bit of a drag first the third book is just is perfection great yeah. yeah it's yeah. perfection and uh, whatever i've read i have not seen anyone end chapters the way george r r martin does mm almost always whenever he's ending a chapter those last two three lines leading up to that last line the punch with which he ends chapters i have not read anyone else to that so yeah coming to the point like you said um, the first season does a great job of setting up the board so to speak mm-hmm. while i mean one major piece does get eliminated in the first season itself you now have a clear idea of which are the f- important families who are the key members in those families mm-hmm. how are they at least currently how are they arrayed against each other what are mm-hmm. their underlying motivations and now you're hooked by the end of yeah. the first season you're hooked and like, also you have setting I, has drawn you in i think you have by the end of season 1 you are given uh, a a hero to support an unlikely one because um and i'm not talking about the starks i'm talking about daenerys targaryen's arc which is excellent like it begins with her being sold to uh, the dothraki and then her making her way there and you have this big huge hulking mass of muscle least man ever yeah uh, karl rogo played by jason momoa god of emasculating <laughs> yeah pretty much and you think and it's it's really hilarious because a man so massive gets put down in in the most random ways possible you know it's just you never see that coming and to see and, and it really puts kalisi or daenerys's position in, into jeopardy but the way she rises out of that and at the end of season 1 it ends on a cliffhanger one of the best cliffhangers in in modern television where i wouldn't even say a cliffhanger it's just like it's more of a sign of things to come yeah you're just like what yeah yeah because for a, i think for a for a thousand for, for at least 200 years there have been no signs of dragons and now for the first time the dragon eggs have hatched um and the last time there was a ruler there was a person with three dragons they invaded westeros and basically took it for themselves yeah. so and you and you're really backing daenerys here you really want her to uh, to succeed and then we roll into season 2 and this is when you really start to get into the deep relationships between the lannisters of course the entire thing begins with because of a forbidden relationship between two lannisters and how they are spotted by one of the stark twins stark kids let's be honest because episode 1 also like sets the board for setting the board and yeah. then sets a few events in motion and then by season 2 you start you bring in Tywin Lannister who i think is the absolute soul of that season yeah every time he's on screen he is so magnetic in his, with his personality his charm and he gets the best lines in the show i mean i think a lot of that has to also it can also be chalked up to charles dance that's just the mm-hmm. sort of personality he has the mm-hmm. the his physique his voice his demeanor he is the man was born to play uh, tywin lannister and um, again you know what actually the more and more i think about it i don't know why 
D&D fell so off the wagon towards the last two three seasons because up until that point all of the calls they were taking in in terms of um, you know which parts of the book to keep which parts to not mm. keep uh they were taking perfect calls and uh, it's just that like stuff like you know time and nanista was uh, a lot crueler and a lot harsher in the books uh, but they toned it down just enough for him to be that domineering uh patriarchal figure yet at the same time he has enough about him for you to you wouldn't exactly root for him but part of you is in awe of him like while in the books he's just an out and out rotten character he he does what's good for his family but there's not a good bone in him like mm-hmm. even his interactions with arya in uh, harren hall which mm-hmm. are one of the enjoyable very enjoyable aspects of season 2 are not there in the books those were added in by uh, benioff and vice mm-hmm. so they did you can see that they had the acumen to know what would work what wouldn't i think at towards the end maybe they just checked out mentally but mm-hmm. uh, all of these these fascinating aspects really elevate so i feel characters like uh, tywin characters like brienne characters mm-hmm. like okay stannis is definitely done injustice by the show mm-hmm. but tywin and brienne were elevated from the characters they were in the book books were yeah. much better than in in the show mm-hmm. so like you said tywin one of the standout characters for me as well in season 2 great tywin tyrion for that matter i think tyrion obviously is nowhere tyrion has had screen presence constantly yeah. yeah so i think uh, period inclages turn as tyrion lannister is just one of those exceptional uh pieces of casting because he just gets better with each passing season um yeah. and again he and his his father the lannisters and and cersei i think by around this time you tend to really uh start hating uh cersei in the, on the show because she's just yeah. generally a very insecure person who is going to do anything in her power to keep her family together and basically maintain power and what a turn what a what a phenomenal turn yeah so the season, second season obviously spends a lot of time developing the lannisters and the starks you also see a lot of the other characters start getting developed start getting back stories uh their characters get more fleshed out families like the greyjoys like the tyrells and again you see that world enriched getting enriched with each of these characters getting included and their own perspectives and again it's like you have two people playing chess now there's eight people playing chess against each other it just gets <laughs> yeah. like motivations just get intertwined i mean there's more of what made the first season great mm-hmm. so which is why you you see this is what abhin and i were discussing you see the first the eight seasons of game of thrones are very clearly divided into four amazing seasons and then you like fifth season onwards while obviously the drop is still slower mm-hmm. but you can uh, but it still makes a very good viewing because it's not yes uh and i i agree for the most part i think uh, especially season 2 season 2 i think is where the writing and the show really combine and we'll get to season 3 where i think it reaches its crescendo uh but in terms of having characters uh, and having this playground where no everyone is vying for power and it's just an untrustworthy backstabbing 
cesspool of the worst people in the world it yeah. makes for such exciting viewing especially and the one thing game of thrones is very straightforward is the good guys will don't always win that's not yeah. if you if you expect that to be the case this is not the show for you because yeah you have stannis baratheon's uh, rebellion this not, was the, not the show for you it's, yeah this was the yeah, let's just put it that way your stannis baratheon's uh, rebellion stannis the manis stannis the <laughs> and stannis i mean i don't i quite didn't mind where they took his character but we'll get to that in a bit stannis's attack on king's landing i mean the victories achieved literally by the skin of their teeth because of the wildfire situation and as well as uh tywin lannister's last minute intervention which ultimately keeps the kingdom with the lannisters and, and that entire moment of that ship full of wildfire exploding is just oh man Oh, it's, it's perfection. Have we talked about Ramin Jawadi yet? I think we should. I think uh, Ramin Jawadi uh, basically rose to prominence with this show. It's been around for a while, but there are so many interesting uh, pieces that have come out of the, out of Game of Thrones. More so in the last second half of um, uh, of the seasons that came with it. Um, but let's. I just want to like shout out Ramin, Ramin Jawadi for some phenomenal work. Yeah. Yeah. but i need to before I, before you move on i need to ask this um out of the, the stark kids and the and the parts they ultimately all end up going on which one was the one you gravitated towards the most at this point like as of season 2 yeah. and 3 as in just generally like i think yeah let's say by season 2 as of season 2 obviously rob stark he was the man at the end mm. of season 2 he was winning victory after victory he hadn't hadn't been defeated in the field of battle yet something that he would go and i mean that's something he retained even uh, up until the end mm. and uh, yeah that's something that he retained up until the end uh, obviously john stark you see him starting to become the man i'm going to not john stark or john snow i'm calling yeah. him a john stark whatever mm. but uh, you start to see him become the man that he eventually will end up being mm. um Sansa is still annoying. Sansa is <laughs> annoying up until the end. Maybe for the last one or two seasons, they tried to do a U-turn on her, but not the most convincing one. Arya again, not yet uh, a ninja assassin. So, but I, just, I think for yeah, for me, I think Arya definitely like stars of season one and two because even I think so much so that I think Arya and John share uh, most of the uh, of the series' emotional elements. at least in season 1 and 2 because arya is a child who gets cast into this horrible situation and then she's eventually picked up by a band of thieves ends up at haren hall um runs into followers of the lord of light and just this so much is such an interesting arc before she ultimately ends up seeing jack and haga and what that leads to in season 3 and 4 and 5 so definitely very intrigued by arya's run in in that and of course john's approach to going beyond the wall meeting the wildlings uh meeting egret who i think steals the show uh oh every time yeah every time she's on screen she's absolutely magnetic the a quick word here on the haren hall section of the season mm-hmm. oh man it is so watered down from the book i mean <laughs> what is already on sc- what is what made it to screen is already very bleak and mm. it, it's a dark dark place i don't know mm. which they brought wonderfully to life from the book i feel mm-hmm. 
still not even a shade on how fucked up the Aaron Hall segments in the second book are. So for those of uh, who, for those of us who have not read that passage in the books, what like what do you what do you remember from it that absolutely stays with you? So uh, there's this whole other group of I forgot the name, the Mummers or something. Mm. So Mummers are actors. So they're these actor turned. Uh, like fighters for hire if i recall correctly who mm. come and take over the camp of haran hall in tywin lannister's absence not take over they sort of mm. additions to people who are already there uh, and the sort of atrocities they're just randomly cruel in the book and mm. even the character of uh, the i forgot the name again the guy who tortures people with the rats mm-hmm. i mean in the show it's a 2 second or it's a it's a 30 second scene where they show what that guy does to people when they're being questioned but mm-hmm. in the in the books there's just these like throughout the haran hall camp there's just these rumors of random acts of cruelty that are happening and the people who are captives there are just in this constant state of state terror of, n- mm-hmm. not knowing what will affect them in what way when mm-hmm. i mean just reading that it's so evocative it it feels like a concentration camp almost So from books and 1 and 2 what are the things that you read in the book and you felt hmm, okay that could not have pos- I I see why this wasn't adapted into into the into the uh, TV adaptation the first book was pretty much entirely adapted in the first season there was hmm. almost nothing that except for maybe some dry exposition almost hmm. nothing was omitted so first book hmm. was fine second one i feel largely it's the haran hall pieces other than that for the most part they've they've been fairly faithful i think it was when they started adapting books 3 and 4 into season 3 4 5 is when they started like picking pieces and dropping them of narratively course, yeah. speaking it was a bit of mix and match let's show this in this season let's bring this back bring this forward whatever i think there are like some characters basically so george r r martin does this where he starts off chapters for certain characters and then just hasn't gone back to them at all and oh, yeah, so yeah. you have yeah. characters yeah there's yeah. a whole bunch of characters that i would say maybe 40% of the book's characters are in the show and there's mm-hmm. a whole host of people who add to the richness of the world in the books but would only serve to confuse people in the shows so i get why that decision was made but sorry you were saying parts of the book that you felt would never translate to Yeah no, 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 no and the the inclusion of the the exclusion of that of that kid I keep forgetting what he's called they call they position him to be the the actual Targaryen child that's oh Aegon only yeah Aegon the pretender or something he's, yeah. he's called that but Aegon yeah, and is completely excluded from the book yeah um, but yeah there are actually entire plot lines which they hmm. decided look it at this point it is just too complicated Yeah, let's just make a cut this down to a streamlined version. And and it's not the first time it's been done. I think uh, the be- if you look at the LOTR series as well, a lot of chapters have been moved around to make sure that in it works in a movie theater. Similarly, it has to work uh, on a TV screenplay. And with season 2 ending on such a high and introducing of course the Tyrells, you've got um, the Baratheons, you've got a whole list of characters who are going to play major parts in things to come. we end up at season 3 now uh, wise and benioff have gone on record saying the reason that they adapted game of thrones were looking to adapt game of thrones was so that they could adapt the red wedding mm. so season 3 is just one big build up to the red wedding it 
kind of hints of course there's there's um, Daenerys is run in marine i think it's around this time and uh, before the she forgot about marine dude yeah yeah she's in kath and then she's in marine so she's Daenerys is having a struggle with the slave traders trying to get people to go free and meanwhile in westeros you have rob stark continuing to make mistake upon mistake which ultimately leads to the events of the red wedding you have a wonderful budding relationship between arya and uh, and the hound which i think was was, was excellent you have um uh, you have tyrion's uh, relationship and him ex- trying to be the hand hand of the king to joffrey who absolutely hates his guts and you reach this point with with the with the red wedding where things are <laughs> things take a turn for the worse i remember reading it about in the book and in the book it's so sad it's almost like a throwaway line because it, it ends at, yeah it's it's a chapter where it's like oh yeah rob stark uh at the tally i mean you there's more written about what's happening outside the hall where mm-hmm. the other members of the stark entourage are being killed by the phrase mm-hmm. what's happening inside is at best a paragraph of three four lines mm-hmm. but uh, its translation onto the screen is just heartbreaking but yeah it's yeah. gut wrenching it's it's literally and figuratively a, a twist of the knife in the stomach mm. and oh my god at that like in terms of hope that is the low point of the series mm-hmm. when that happens you're like there is no way this show has a happy ending no yeah. way yeah how does any how does how stark recover from this and also it's a, it's the subversion of the trope right you have a man like the father and who is killed by uh by by somebody considered to be evil and the sun rises in his stead to yeah. take his so, revenge so far you're just like ha yeah. oh bye gamma yeah. and then yeah. they're like no this isn't agni but my son uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah you have the starks the star and just for just for good measure rob starks un- unborn child is called ned so ned has the uh, has the privilege of dying twice on the show like <laughs> killing sean bean once is not enough not killing enough. again <laughs> <laughs> and with the reigns of castamer playing in the back is the season 3 and season 4 game of thrones is like peak television yeah i think height of its powers game of thrones you just yeah you could not get anything uh better than what you get in season 3 and season 4 these uh, mean, the 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 you know two people interactions in a closed space those that protracted scenes of dialogue which mm-hmm. people used to love about game of thrones were near perfected between if, i would say more so in season 4 i'll give i'll cite examples when we talk about that season but mm-hmm. across both of these it's just it's a treat to watch so the season the book 3 gets split into season 3 and season 4 because book 3 is, is so guys imagine how parts. book how good book 3 is is exactly book 3 is also two parts if i am not mistaken so yeah yeah and gets split into book th- season 3 and season 4 now uh, did you know of the red wedding before you watched it or was it no uh, i did not i uh, so i had like i had not read the books i so i read the books in 2017 or 18 Mm. when i was in vizag and like i had mm. literally nothing else to do because mm. i had no friends there work was shit yeah. 2016 2016 was when i had read so by then the third season already happened so i'd seen it before i read about it and 
somehow I managed to avoid spoilers. I had no clue going into the, I just knew obviously it was episode nine. So I was like, okay, so what fucked up shit is happening this time? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that's all the, that's the only inkling I had. But uh, so when you start hearing them play the music, you're just like, hmm. Then you start seeing Catelyn Stark look around and she's like, hmm. You're like, hmm. <laughs> and then they start closing the doors. You're like, hmm. <laughs> And then they start stabbing people. You're like, no. <laughs> Shit. It was horrible, man. It was horrible. It was, it was hilarious watching people's reaction to it uh, on YouTube. You could just, the sheer terror. So I knew, so I'd read book three by the time uh, the season three rolled around. So I'm just sitting there waiting. And my father, <laughs> uh, my, my father was really into the show at this point. He's like, and I remember looking at episode nine, episode nine's out today. And I obviously went and got it for him and got it for myself. And I watched it. So before I jump back into it, I kind of want to talk about the rituals that Game of Thrones made us adapt. Because obviously we were all watching it on a week by week basis. Yeah. And it would be Sunday morning in the US, which would obviously mean Monday for us, right? Yeah. So I would just remember getting to work or college in certain, because there was no lap. And I would just remember getting uh, home avoiding social media like the plague because you know <laughs> you know right uh, and but by this time when I was reading book three I have a friend let's call him Fala so uh, Fala was I was driving Fala to a quiz and Fala goes bro are you reading book three and I'm like yeah I am dude isn't it crazy how they kill Rob Stark and I almost <laughs> threw him out of the car like, <laughs> And so by then I'd already got to book three and then in the sheer dismissiveness of it all, I was just like, what the fuck? But okay. And so I'd spend some time being very annoyed at it. And so when season three, episode nine rolls around, I'm like, okay, fine, do your worst. And when it ends, I'm like, wow, I wasn't expecting it to be that bad. Like they really went for it. <laughs> and <laughs> to us, I was like, okay, it's a bit much guys, slight overkill. And then my dad walks down for dinner and goes, they killed him. He's dead. Now what? Like he's dead. And my fa- I've never seen my father in shock over a television show. And I, I've found that to be absolutely hilarious. I'm like, okay. It's the same, re- it's the same feeling like when Ned Stark died, you're just like, they killed him. What next? This is that times three. <laughs> and I and I'm like, oh goodness. And then I continued reading season book three. And I came across Oberyn Martel. I'm like, I love this guy. Now let's get into season four. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you love somebody in Game of Thrones, yeah. be very afraid for them. <laughs> be very afraid for them. <laughs> let's get into so season three ends. Uh, Daenerys frees all the all the slaves of Meereen. They call her Misa, I think. There's, that's what the final episode is called. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we end up in season four where you have the martels who've shown up and uh, the martels aren't exactly very happy because of something that has happened in the past. And so, uh, around the start of season four is also when you start questioning your own sexuality when you see Pedro Pascal on screen. Oh, Pedro Pascal is, is, again, you talk about perfect casting, Pedro Pascal as Oberyn Martel. Perfection. Yeah. And so the martels pop up and they have a, a grudge to um, to address because of what happened in the in the events prior to the opening season of Game of Thrones. You have Robert's Rebellion, which of course is his old bloody affair. 
and plays such a big part in in the series but the sheer horror of what happened in, uh, in that rebellion what clegane does yeah what gregor clegane does to the martel children and to uh, elia martel herself the mother of yeah. um of, of the children and sister to oberin is quite horrific and obviously in comes oberin with an axe to grind and you immediately start rooting for this guy you think he's just charming he's deadly and this is where things start to go really bad for for tyrion because at this point uh within the first two episodes and i remember reading about this in the book going oh yes because yeah. at this point, <laughs> just going to mention yeah because at this point in the series you know what props props to jack leeson because oh my goodness to be what 15 16 years old and to create a character so hated by the time one of the great antagonists of our generation yeah. joffrey baratheon who's so well realized like the asshole of the assholes and jack leeson does a wonderful job and then gets a wonderful send off two episodes into season 4 i remember when that when i saw it on I saw it on screen. I was just like, "Yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah, motherfucker!" So, but this happens in season four, and you know, there's this set the cat amongst the proverbial pigeons, and you are just completely taken aback by what's about to happen. Tyrion is accused because he's being bullied throughout, and I don't think we've addressed the arrival of Ramsay Bolton around this point. Um, Ramsay pops up in season three and leads Theon down. a most torturous path he breaks dude, him physically and he takes which before he captures him i'm just like mm-hmm. dude there's physical torture and then there's this psychological torture this is just yeah. worse yeah because theon i mean attempts to uh take winterfell for himself and things spiral horribly out of control for him he then kills two farmyard kids to prove that he's killed the stark children and it just it uh and the things that happened to theon i mean theon's turn from being like this arrogant prick to being a sympathetic character that you can't help but root for is one of those really wonderfully realized arcs you see on television uh and theon has the best arc i would feel hmm. jamie was a top contender then they screwed him over hmm. but theon probably has the best arc and relatively came out unscathed at the end of season 8 in in the sense that dnd didn't completely screw screw him over mm. yeah the way i feel went. like i think theon's story got the perfect wrap up i think he, yeah um but in terms of what ramsey bolton does and it's just sheer terror because he's it's the break he psychologically breaks theon down and by season 4 theon is a husk of himself and yeah. ramsey bolton is growing in power now how... if joffrey baratheon is is uh, i don't know what the right word is joffrey baratheon is cruelly like he's cruel and petty mm-hmm. ramsey bolton is just flat out insane like yeah, you have one just... one guy that you love to hate die and then this that vacuum is immediately filled by ramsey bolton Mm. and i feel that's what game of thrones does it always make sure there's one absolute horrific person in the show that you cannot deal with 
Yeah. And say uh, this one other I am not sure if it is episode 7 and 8 or if it's just episode 8 mm. where obviously by this point because um Tyrion's been accused of murdering Joffrey he is uh obviously he's on trial and he demands trial by combat and I think across episode 7 and 8 he's looking for people to fight for him mm-hmm. when he gets to know uh Oh yeah, he he doesn't yet know who uh Cersei is going is to pick. pick yeah. uh, who Cersei has picked as her champion. So mm-hmm. there's this one conversation between Jamie and uh between Jamie and Tyrion where Tyrion is trying to convince Jamie to uh be his champion, but at this by this point obviously Jamie's lost his main hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's when Jamie also tells him, "Do you know who Cersei's picked?" uh and it's uh, gregor clegane yeah and it and cuts to gregor the colored it cut yeah it cuts to gregor just literally ripping a man in half half yeah you're just like what the fuck <laughs> is this <laughs> and uh, and you can see the color sort of drain from tyrion's face and he's like oh shit is real now so there's that conversation immediately after that there's a conversation and there's the cold with bron mm. and this the court sequence we have to talk about the court sequence yes we have to talk about the court sequence very the whole build up to him mm-hmm. asking for the trial by combat i just want to make a quick note on so there's this immediately mm-hmm. followed by his conversation with bron where he's trying to convince bron mm-hmm. bron has his own reasons as to why he does not want to fight he's been he's moved mm-hmm. up in life he's been made mm-hmm. a minor lord mm-hmm. and all of that again that conversation is very it's like a delicate dance nobody wants to offend the other because they're friends and tyrion sort of relies on bron to bail him out Mm. Bron wants to politely refuse. It's a very nice. So there's that conversation, and right after that, you have Oberyn Martell coming yeah. in and telling him he has his own reasons and the axe that he has to grind with the Lannisters. Mm. And I still remember the line when he just catches I the torch in his hand. He turns yeah. to him and says, "I will be your champion." champion. At that point, I was like, "Oh man, I think I'm going to have a paroxysm and just collapse. I can't <laughs> take this level of coolness." And so, those two episodes are just like these these conversations that we love is just packed into those two episodes like exactly. for me even within the three season 3 and season 4 kale super set of awesomeness season 4 episode 7 and episode 8 are just like oh man the two best hours of television fantasy television at least mm-hmm. it's just amazing but yeah like you were saying all the the pivotal event that leads up to these conversations is a scene the court is the court yeah and peter dinklage just takes it and runs with it so yeah. you have his dynamic with tywin lannister first of all is absolutely amazing i think their back and forth is kind of what keeps viewers going and i'm going to still give props to wise and benioff because it is not an easy property to adapt not by any stretch of the imagination and to do it so well and keep characters and keep the best bits of the that, that makes these characters who they are requires some effort and i think they're really good at treatment of material mm-hmm. but they're not good at they have original great material they've brought it to life really well exactly yeah they're not good with original stuff, original so stuff yeah which kind of yeah i mean you, it's that's understandable and i and i as much as we're annoyed about the later seasons i think uh five out of eight is not bad at all four are uh, excellent five are five not yeah. bad at all six onwards just like okay you can sort of I think, see the linear I, direction it's taking i think by by season 5 they start handing going for more for visual 
uh, storytelling as in it's more yeah. about the visual punches of uh, to what the CC series can do because by now it's the biggest thing in the world it has yeah. uh, HBO has uh, one of others is throwing movie studio budgets at it like it's just <laughs> that's kind of that's exactly what's happening uh, and but season 4 i mean the oberon martel which ultimately culminates in um the uh, the trial by combat again I have a very fun story about this i was on a plane heading to mangalore from bangalore to see my grandparents and i was reading uh, game of thrones uh, the storm of swords and i was specifically it's a 45 minute flight at the most and i was uh, reading the trial by combat section uh and uh, during said trial by combat section you see oberon absolutely wipe the floor with the mountain and i'm and i'm like okay yes page 1 of him wiping the floor with the mountain is good page 2 3 and by this time we've hit turbulence so uh page 4 i'm just like why is this fight still going on and why does he keep saying say her name say her name stupid idiot and no sooner do we actually go into full turbulence i get to the paragraph where he steps over the mountain and then makes the one mistake his one mistake in the entire fight and the mountain the mountain punches his face in as much as is what is in the book he doesn't do what he does in the in in the tv show like the mountain basically goes to town breaks his jaws and then breaks his jaw and then absolutely punches the life out of him and i remember the lines uh, saying the mountains his fist was smoking from the blood and i don't even know how that works yeah but i remember putting the book down and being thoroughly annoyed <laughs> and so when you see oberon martel petro pascal play oberon martel on the film like okay i have zero affiliation with this guy but i will try not to love him and while that's happening we get to the episode and they somehow make it 10 times worse visually game of thrones i mean even for book readers they're like okay we're going to make it horrible for you to you guys as well and uh this pure destruction like yeah, like 30 of- seconds ago he was full of swagger now mm. his eyeballs are somewhere else it is yeah and again um so I'd, this was a spoiler that had already been spoiled that mm. had already been spoiled for me and mm. how did it happen then i don't remember i have blocked mm. that memory out but i remember that i, I was aware that oberon martel is going to die so when the fight was happening i was just, no part of me was happy i'm like oh like he's fighting like a badass right he's he's put mm. gregor clegan on his ass i'm just like no <laughs> he's going to lose from this position <laughs> and when it happens it's so sudden it's you're just like oh. okay it's done like let's just move on i knew this was going to happen now let's just move on yeah and the funny part is now here are the bait and switches this is not the ninth episode of uh mm-hmm. season four uh this is episode eight i think episode eight so season four has this that the ninth episode is just an entire battle the battle at the wall uh mm-hmm. where their entire john snow scene whatever is happening where the wildlings mm-hmm. are attacking the great wall suddenly you have an entire episode dedicated to that so you don't expect that death if you don't know Oberyn Martel is going to die. You're like, oh wait, he's fighting in episode eight. Nice, yeah. <laughs> something good is gonna happen. And then suddenly they they bait and switch you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and that for me, obviously, there is 
even in episode 9 there's a very very pivotal moment where egret gets shot uh in the fight where she's with the wildlings while johnson mm. is fighting for the the other the side wall. the watcher the wall and the watchers night night watch sorry night and watch, yeah. um you it, he's in this turmoil where he, his loyalties lie elsewhere but his mm. heart says something else when she dies in his arms it's a it's a heart the entire mm. egret and john relationship is so nice that when it mm. ends the way it does it's heartbreaking and um but despite that for me oberin's death is still the it's a close first as moment of the the season again very hard because there's there's uh, joffrey's death mm-hmm. there's oberin's death and of course the end of season 4 itself which is tywin dying on the shitter when mm-hmm. when tyrion uh, crossbows him again what a moment and mm-hmm. for me season 4 was tyrion season like the number of moments he has the trial by combat scene each of those conversations that i mentioned where he has to emote very specific and nuanced emotions and even when uh, he find, like shares betrayal that in mm-hmm. itself when it happens in court is another very strong uh, emotion mm-hmm. scene and then him killing shay and then going on to kill tywin that that 5 mm-hmm. to 6 minute sequence is just Tyrion Lannister at the height of his like Peter Dinklage mm-hmm. at the height of his powers. So so damn good. And I feel I think this was doing this part of the story uh sound I want to say I think is this the one where is this is this the season where Sansa gets married to Ramsay? No, or the season after. In season 5. Mm-hmm. But uh through all this time you've got um you've got Arya in in Bravos. um training to be an assassin yeah which and i don't know man like hmm. it's a little too unbelievable like i get bravos has their own faceless hmm. men and all of that but hmm. the ease with which they arya kind of grows among the ranks suddenly she's hmm. this you could in the books it's a lot more protracted and a lot hmm. more time passes and she has to overcome a lot more obstacles mm mm-hmm. by this time you can start seeing by season 5 you start seeing hints of that narrative laziness hmm. from dnd because now they're straying away from source material there's there are pieces of the puzzle that they have to start filling in because mm-hmm. this jackass still hasn't written the next book <laughs> <laughs> so uh you can start, kind of start seeing slack narrative slack and you're just like okay this is a little unbelievable but i let it pass because i love the show and you can see them start to borrow credit from the audience in that sense mm-hmm. right yeah. where they'll give you one pass maybe one more pass because mm. they've invested this much time and they love the show yeah and a slide just commences Season five um has two very pivotal moments it has of course the moment from uh, dance with dragons uh, where which is john which is john snow's betrayal by the night's watch yeah uh, or members of the night's watch which you still don't know is he actually dead is he not alive we don't but from the book yeah from because, the book we don't yeah know. because it's just knives in the dark i mean we know we don't know how he's alive yeah exactly so knives knives in the dark is what uh I think again what an the, end what an end to the chapter what an end to yeah. the book oh my yeah. fucking god oh man hmm. the man the man is is talented he is he just wrote elden ring i don't know what he wrote for elden ring but i'm but from what i've read it's he's written the history uh or rather the events that precede 
what is to come what of what is happening in elden ring so i'm like okay exactly i don't think it's it's a problem of productivity either mm. and however slow you are even if you're writing with your dick dude by 9 years you would have finished it it's yeah. not that it's i think the tendency that you mentioned where he wants character arcs to grow organically all that's mm. well and fine it makes a great storytelling but nine times out of 10 you're going to write yourself into a corner which is exactly mm. what has happened to him there's mm. so many knots by the end of the fifth book he's not understood how to un- like untie mm. those Untangled, knots yeah so that's kind of where he is at this point uh but yeah season 5 i think this is the first time we actually move into more visual storytelling as opposed to yeah and there's a lot more focus on dawn in season 5 mm-hmm. which again in the shows the dawnish plot is much more i would say they've distilled it to what's like absolutely necessary yeah, there's a but, whole lot of bullshit that's happening in dawn in the books yeah which by book 4 book 5 you're just like what was even the need for this just cut short and like move on <laughs> so, and i mean the interesting i think doran martel still has a huge part to play in the books his yeah. weird inclusion and exclusion from <laughs> the remaining seasons was was a little on call farm like okay you have clearly have this mastermind sitting yeah, in the wheelchair matter is exactly he's like yeah. mastermind orchestrating everything from afar mm. in this case he's more like a minority hire where okay yeah. we, you also have especially able people in our <laughs> and uh, you it's just season 5 there's uh, not much to say really except the, the one stand out in season 5 of course is when um uh, john snow takes goes to the goes beyond the wall to a village of wildlings that are attacked by the, the yeah uh, by the white walkers oh yeah um hard home i think that was the name of the episode man mm-hmm. i think that was the introduction of miguel sapochnik to no i think he has been around for a while miguel sapochnik he's been around his introduction in the sense i think after that episode everyone knew his name name like, yeah who is the guy who made hard home yeah and so in the books it's just uh, you have a bunch of wildlings who have fled the village of hardhome and come running seeking shelter at the wall and they're just like something terrible has happened that's all so to take just that from the books and from that what we see on screen is to me the last good bit of addition that dnd did to the books mm. uh i mean very very welcome addition and brilliantly executed by sapochnik Hmm. Just the whole build-up where you see, oh man, you see those snow clouds kind of drifting towards the village, and you hmm. see that realization dawn upon everyone when they're like, hmm. okay, this is not just a random snowstorm. Yeah. And then the battle, and then the realization about uh, the real threat, that, steel. Yeah. And the 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 exactly the size of the real threat. and the hopelessness of it all that everyone who's died he, with a snap of his finger or he brings them back of his arms he's they're all back up again and you realize this is an army that logically cannot be defeated yeah if they are going to kill some of you and that's then going to be on their side i mean this hmm. is just arithmetically impossible and wow what a what a visually and narratively strong way to end that episode and at the end of season i think the end of season 5 is where john snow eventually like he goes back and then ends up yeah. dying and the being uh, julius caesar i mean there is basically a julius caesar parallel mm-hmm. so yeah, and by the end of season 5 you're like 
not again do like where <laughs> now after this yeah. there is no other then at that point you're convinced there is no good there's no happy end you're convinced like the last ray of hope is gone the only other good character left is dicking around somewhere outside of westeros for the last four seasons god knows doing mm-hmm. what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> you have three dragons this is not like the eagle situation in lotr just ride the dragons and come dude what the fuck are you doing <laughs> dragons have to this, grow yeah at this point i just like you know what man there is no hope but then um, season 6 rolls around and then but also uh, in this time my man is uh, on this psychedelic trip of his own i am of course talking about uh, brand brand the broken yes who has just ventured beyond the wall is walking into random animals living his best life uh there is of course this is also my saddest moment was as he comes in season 6 because throughout all i had this one theory that i expected this man to ultimately sit the sit the throne when it all ends and he ends up dying in season 6 and it was very disappointing um, hoard or king of westeros was something i really wanted to <laughs> i really ended up i was a big fan of hoard's chapter hoard 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 but okay for the for the uh, all its faults i think Hodo's episode in season 6 is wonderful storytelling. Yeah, you think it is. Yeah, it's visually it's it is a, it's a gut punch and season 6 is a lot like um we start getting into Snyder territory in the sense mm-hmm. that like you said it's those big visual moments that the show starts to live for. Mm-hmm. Uh starts slowly sacrificing narrative but there are one off episodes which still manage to strike that balance between visual moments while maintaining good storytelling the hodor episode obviously is one of those so and yes it's a very memorable episode hits you with a punch your you are going to be emotional at the end of the episode it's like oh fuck okay is that significant i think season 6 also really they they give a lot of the heavy lifting to olena tyrer uh danaric's yeah. character because i think she was the I mean, once you you move Charles Dance off screen and you bring in somebody with that kind of uh, magnetic uh, energy, and she comes in and just automatically takes over, and it's so good. And then she carries a lot of the emotional um, heft of, of the show. I think establishing the relationship between Marjorie and uh and, and Cersei yeah oh. oh, uh, yeah and of course there's Tommen as well and then the high sparrow becomes a very important player but uh the, and that's that, that's what should go on Tommen's uh, gravestone that's Tommen as well <laughs> this Tommen is the high sparrow makes an entry into what season is in season 5 right in 6 season 6 hey he makes an entry but season 6 is where that whole since six only no yeah well, no no, whole, no i think shame is season 5 if i'm not mistaken yeah season 5 episode 10 is the last episode yeah yeah five. so season 5 is where high sparrow i think what cersei attempts to do is get the high sparrow involved to cleanse out the tyres where it backfires in her favor because they ultimately uh, subjugate her to all sorts of things because she herself has committed so many war crimes and is made to make have the walk of shame the whole dynamic between cersei and and marjorie builds a lot of tension during season 6 after which in my opinion one of the best episodes or rather the best openings to an episode 
in the entire series happens right in the finale which is there's no line of dialogue or rather there's maybe a one line of dialogue for a good 10 minutes and the entire sequence is carried by music alone yeah, that's ravin jawadi's time to shine yeah ravin jawadi is just it's wonderfully told i mean in terms of and once again i don't attribute i at maybe attribute a bit of this to the screenplay but a lot of it to the director and how they choose to tell the story from a visual standpoint because a light of the seven is what the music piece is called mm-hmm. it just it's absolutely haunting it picks up it drops and then there is it has this weird old 70s horror vibe to it about mm, three fourths of the way through especially when lancel ends up discovering the wildfire in underneath the crypt of baylor right isn't it uh, yeah crypt of baylor but uh, dude i just realized there's so so many characters we didn't even talk about this lancel yeah. lannister who eventually ends up being a playing a pivotal role we barely mentioned robert baratheon who mark eddy in the first season was is force of nature yeah like the line wonderful. i just quoted when you were talking about lancel lannister is him the whole the go player go fetch the breastplate stretcher that so, yeah. that entire sequence i mean there's so much of robert baratheon that is still in the zeitgeist although he was only there for a handful of episodes i think first six episodes of the show then stannis Bar- baratheon never spoke that, about stannis yeah. i mean stannis is unraveling is my one of my favorite things on the show i know it's like it's yeah. not exactly in line with the books but is unraveling and stannis in the books is just what a man dude this this dude is just about duty like that's all his driving force there's a very specific there's a very telling uh, passage in the book i don't recall it verbatim but where he's like i take no pleasure in doing these wars and uh, fighting mm-hmm. for the throne but mm-hmm. it is mine by right mm-hmm. it is just the right of the law that i'm i'm following saying, yeah. following mm-hmm. that needs to be implemented mm-hmm. and he just lives by a very ironclad code and mm-hmm. you can't help but respect a man like that mm-hmm. i mean fuck So Stephen Dillon does a very good job of portraying Stannis but I feel that the showrunners especially to a, in season 5 do let down the character a bit in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe uh, this is when Weiss and Benioff went to George R R Martin and said what do we do with the character? Like where do we take him from here? Mm-hmm. And George R R Martin's contribution was make him go mad and let him burn his daughter alive. I think that, that's the episode 9 of season 5 if I recall correctly. Is it season uh season 5 is where he burns his, his daughter is it? Yeah yeah he's and, he's at the end of season 5 anyways. And Liam Cunningham's uh realization of what happened of is just gut punch of course we haven't even spoken about Davos Davos who plays yeah, uh, exactly there's so, so many characters like, that we yeah that we haven't even alluded to we haven't we, spoke, we haven't really like We, we've just mentioned we didn't talk about little finder finger at finger, all yeah. so far yeah peter baelish is just peter baelish's I mean, arc is he's the guy that started the entire saga it's his yeah. action that precipitated everything that followed and it's just it's kind of crazy as to how you find your like how just one dagger basically kickstarts all of this right like it starts off with the death of john arryn and then of course there is the assassination attempt uh on bran Uh, and just it snowballs into a full-fledged war the smallest actions have the largest consequences and i think game of thrones is a perfect example of it chaos is a ladder uh, yeah and he's so good 
But yeah, but, this uh, season six. I'm sure we're missing a lot of characters. It's I'm in, sure it's it, inevitable yes. because of how vast the world is. But mm. but yeah, like this is this is at this point we're at season six. Very clearly, there are narrative cracks that start to appear, but they're papered over with big moments, and you're just like, you know what? I'm I'm I've been here up to this point, and we know there's a season or two at best left. Let's see it out. At this point, you're just you start to feel a little bit of trepidation as a viewer. Just like, you know what? I just hope they don't fuck it up and I can just see it out with some semblance of satisfaction. Good mm-hmm. enough. I've enjoyed the ride so far. I'm still not bitter about the experience. I'll remember it and maybe at some point I will come back to rewatch and mm. and whatnot. And then season seven and season eight happen. Season seven, I don't hate as much. Yeah, as not as eight. much. Season I think the problem still- with... I think the problems with season seven and eight is not just what direction they took it. And I don't take your show in the direction you want to take it to. You're, you're essentially like, you're not writing my story or writing your story. I get it, but spend time with it. Yeah. Don't shift it to what I think it's ultimately 13 episodes is what we got. We got seven in season, um, seven in season seven and six in season season eight. (laughs) Season seven, once again, in terms of season seven has one of my top five favorite episodes, which is the the train when Daenerys finally makes mm-hmm. her stand. And visually, I just don't think of like if you ever want to watch a show that elicits terror, like what dra- of what dragons can actually do. Yeah, that is the perfect visualization of what a dragon can actually do and one dragon does that one dragon yeah one dragon and they go with scorpion bullets to like uh arrows uh, arrows to take it down and it's useless and it's but a scratch (laughs) (laughs) yeah he barely gets affected by the scorpion and um again this is this is the height of Jamie's redemption arc that has mm-hmm. begun all the way back in season three when he goes back to save Brienne of Tarth. Yeah. His redemption has started from there. He just gets better, 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 better. This is like the the apex of Jamie Lannister, the stud. And again, for him after this, it just goes downhill. I would say that yeah. the right until the epi- end of season seven, where Jamie decides to go head north and help the, mm-hmm. the anti-White Walker causes, he's still mm-hmm. fine. But then just Anyway, that's yeah. that's one of the moments of season seven which do stand out. That and the fight at the lake, while it is impractical and mm. uh, oh yeah, completely bullshit. People went into like hardcore logistics discussing that. <laughs> yeah. These yeah. many miles, this yeah. the speed, <laughs> this much miles per hour is what a dragon flies. Again, a Monty Python joke is in there somewhere about the <laughs> European dragon and. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, like this is the speed. So these many hours, round trip. She would have taken this much. I'm like, bro, leave it. They only haven't given it that much thought. Why are you yeah. trying to break it down? They just went for the Hollywood climax, basically. The dragons of these switched the eagles out for the dragons and said, oh, the dragons and the eagles are coming. More or less the same thing anyway. Yeah. Good but, moment. Uh, no. Logically bullshit, but good moment. And I mean, I remember I had a theory back in season five. I'm like, okay, so... Daenerys seems insurmountable because she has three dragons and she's about to take over. So in order to, in order for her to like, uh, for her to be someone we root for, she needs to have some odds to face. 
So my yeah. theory is that she loses one of the dragons and she loses one of the dragons to the white walkers who ultimately uh break the wall down. And when it happened, I remember going, "Oh, yes." I was like I was very excited by it. I was like, "Okay, fine. You've got me Game of Thrones and I'm very excited for this." And I think that was the last time I ever like I and I remember when joy what yeah when, <laughs> yeah, when <laughs> when the night king walks in and then just places his hand on the dragon's head and it opens its its, its eye and its blue eye and i think season 7 also ends with the last the wall coming down the wall the coming last down. scene is the wall coming down and yeah. melting and then the army of the dead just walking through which is very foreboding and which so one up. one other moment in season 7 mm. which Mm. uh you've been waiting for it for like four seasons almost is when arya comes back and takes revenge on the phrase yes uh that we're very much very much fan service i just I super just, fan service but you don't mind it. again phrase mm. is, are like uh, joffrey when he dies you're just like yeah. Yeah. yeah very very sweeney todd Uh, yes. Also, I realized we didn't mention the Battle of Winterfell at all. Season six, episode nine. Oh my god! Of course, yeah. Choreograph fight choreography. Miguel Sapochnik again, again. Miguel Sapochnik, dude, just knows how to nail an episode. And that episode is Jon Snow at his heroic best. Mm-hmm. I mean, at and this point, you're like very close to not him for Emperor. Who exactly? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the something very similar uh, to the. claustrophobic nature of war in uh, battle of winterfell is what is also present in uh, the king by michel gondry if i remember correctly hmm. it has a similar scene at the where the battle of uh, agincor is he gets stuck in between and like joel edgerton's character gets stuck in between and has to fight his way out very reminiscent of the battle of winterfell but really shows the horrors of what a battle situation is like and um, again i would say this and the hodor episode are the standouts of and otherwise middling to good season 6 but mm. i just want i forgot that we completely missed talking about it that mm. and the end of the episode leading to uh, ramsey bolton's very very awaited death mm-hmm. also very satisfying but mm-hmm. uh, like you said what? i think mm-hmm. the end of season 7 is the last good moment that you have with the show mm-hmm. because then season 8 rolls around and it is yeah. a bucket of shit season 8 rolls around and the entire show starts to scream fan service fan service fan service and fan service done badly yeah it's just it got to a point where i was hearing see uh, i was hearing conversations uh, and like talks about how the battle for winterfell or rather the, against the night uh, against the, the white walkers is probably the best battle sequence you've ever seen and it rivals even helms deep so i need to like put this out there yeah helms deep came out in 2002 in the last 20 years nothing has come close Even i watched him like i don't like lotr <laughs> and i'll say if you're comparing a battle to helms deep either turn up or fuck off like <laughs> yeah. these things like don't talk to me about helms deep i watched helms deep 3 months ago and that <laughs> thing still scares the crap out of you as it just as it starts to uh, build up yeah. and So let's just talk about let us just keep us episode one and two really it's just a lot of people uh, holding their dicks and standing and just being utter pissants to each other and I don't even remember episode I don't even remember season eight like except for the last two episodes big moments hmm. 
and it erased it from memory episode 2 ends with this like you can sense something big's about to happen a lot of people are going to see the end of end of this war and with uh, with podrick's song rather very melancholic song about jenny of the old stones uh, and brian gets knighted and it's just there's a lot there that happens in the last 10 15 minutes of the show that makes it a very memorable episode and then season 3 rolls episode 3 rolls around and immediately like across i remember when we all watched it we, some of us watched it on hotstar some of some of us watched it on hbo max you couldn't see shit because yeah. the encoding was so bad and it took hbo a while to figure out uh how to um uh, how to fix it because a lot of the show is shot in pure darkness a lot of the episode is shot in pure darkness and it's just <laughs> with the first 25 minutes you have no idea of what's happening because it's just like you're trying to fast forward rewind fast forward rewind for the quality to set it just does not set but on and that's that comes down not just to an encoding issue but also to a cinematography choice it's something the cinematographer put his hands up said i got it and i got it wrong it looks great on the blu-ray but the blu-ray is not going to come out for 6 months so your episode is dropping one of the most anticipated episodes of game of thrones which you've prepped for and done all of this and you drop the ball on how it looks very frustrating and it felt very bollywood i remember seeing how it culminates and once again it has ramen jawadi is the mvp of that episode everything else can go fucked up ramen jawadi's yeah. night king score is just pure perfection but the repurposing of a line from season 2 to fit the narrative for season uh in season 8 was just complete and utter bullshit wait i'm forgetting what the you will kill green eyes blue eyes uh so melisandre as of course was such a huge part of the show she's yeah again in a, a handful of episodes got missed out because there's so many characters yeah. but yeah she shows up there's this insane jurassic park means resident evil sequence in this episode in in a, in a library where the dead are trying to sniff out arya yeah and visually excellent all that well and good but oh man i mean <laughs> the ending of the episode i feel i mean again the move was realized i think the move was that exact move was foreshadowed in arya's fight with brian yeah so I mean I guess they it's it's a Chekhov's gun of sorts but hmm. yeah at this point you're just like you know what the night king is a fuck john snow is a fuck <laughs> you guys are just stool pigeons this is all misdirection this is all red herrings hmm. this arya bitch <laughs> is there deus ex machina to solve all narrative issues and fucking andy the thing the funny thing was like this came out in the summer of 2019 i had seen the sequence in avengers end game a movie <laughs> that is built on fan service i don't want it in game of thrones yeah so and uh, i just remember being very disappointed in it and going you know what just why why okay you know what i'll, I'll stick with you guys on this right i have a feeling i know where the show is going i am a fan of the direction of where the show is going but let's see 
what how it's stored and therein mm-hmm. lies my problem so you have the white walkers in my opinion the white walkers were supposed to be the great levelers and somehow somehow are been completely wiped out in one fell swoop white uh, walkers ended up being like jehovah's witnesses they just came yeah. to your door you're like no fuck off me like <laughs> oh, yeah, okay bye <laughs> and you're just like okay so fine i guess you wanted to end the season playing politics let's let's play politics let's do that and they go back to king's landing and this i think fourth episode end is when uh, that guy dies right uh night king dies yeah he's like wait night king is dead two more episodes are left what the fuck are they how, how, <laughs> how does anything else three. even matter yeah episode how does anything three. else even matter you have like two three more episodes and then you're like oh wait they still have one insane arc to bring to a close and they mm. going to do it only in three episode this is going to <laughs> also turn bad. Just turn bad yeah you have built a character arc over eight years and believe there have been plenty of people who have been built as heroes who have fallen and i'm more than happy to like who have the story of darth vader you have 100 different people who were supposed to be made the chosen one i don't mind it at all it's a choice it's a choice and ultimately it comes down to as in the killing joke they say you all you need is one bad day and at this point <laughs> one dragon is just bumped off it's like fuck it the <laughs> budget is is too heavy they are flying and then and and benioff talks about this on the commentary like danny forgot about the iron fleet i'm like dude <laughs> <laughs> you for what do you mean everyone knew and remembered the iron fleet if we as the show viewer remembered the iron fleet how is danny forgotten about the fucking iron fleet <laughs> so two things one is in the in the books euron greyjoy is a cold calculating heartless motherfucker mm-hmm. he is that man has no soul mm-hmm. and they've turned euron greyjoy into a fucking comic character by the end of season 8 <laughs> is one and even cersei became this cartoon you know you know what he reminded me of than life mastermind yeah you know what he reminded me of he reminded me of the black knight from monty python like especially <laughs> that's that sequence where jamie is going to the castle and he runs up meeting yoran greyjoy yeah. it was i was like dude this is you cannot be serious this is literally monty python <laughs> and very soon like he's going to say oh look you bastard you've got no arms left and you know the, <laughs> so it's just the sheer parody for parodification of characters the on the show the disdain with which those episodes were handled uh, was handled is still makes me angry if i think back to it like yeah. they didn't give two shits about the number of people they were letting down see in the killing joke does this wonderful thing where it talks about all you need is one bad day and i'm a f- and i'm a believer of that i said that like, nobody nobody is inherently evil all you need is one bad day yeah mm-hmm. But, but but you need even with the joker's case it's a collection like there's so much it's accumulated that one bad day is the match and the mm. bonfire is waiting so if this if season 8 was 12 episodes and from the start of the of the of the season you see Dan- daenerys is unraveling by the time you get to episode 10 it makes sense because everything around her has fallen to pieces and she gets desperate and she spend is off establishing yeah, spend, that spend time establishing that don't just the bells is what i think the episode is called right yeah and the bells is where she ultimately just 
absolutely destroys King's Landing's defenses like with one dragon, let alone three. And there's one where uh, Regal is chilling and flying into the uh, uh, in an ocean. He gets shot down by the Iron Fleet. Nobody hears the Iron Fleet. The dragons haven't even can't even sense danger. The most intelligent creatures on earth, but cool. Uh, and Drogon and uh, Daenerys tag team to just absolutely rip King's Landing's defenses to shreds. And then she proceeds to burn the capital down with like no preface, like nothing. Like, no, she's so, outside yeah. the walls. First, mm. he decides, okay, I'm going to do one more cartoonishly evil thing. Take mm. her to the rampart and kill Missandei in front of uh, Daenerys. And it's like in a minute of, in a matter of minutes, Daenerys is like, haha, oh no, fuck the city, done. Mm. That's it. Yeah, you're just like, bro. Like I knew this was going to happen, but not like this. Yeah, I mean, I, the, I, the Mad Queen, I'm all for. Like, let's do it, but spend time with it. And I remember watching it happen and just being like, uh, I mean, and people around me and were just. Uh, I think no, this was an episode I watched by myself, and this was uh, after having made a cal- making having made a calculated decision to do so because. My ritual game of thrones is like I mentioned earlier in the episode is go to work come back home have dinner shower get into bed watch the episode go to sleep and that's how it was always been but season 8 I made the grave error of deciding to watch it with people and I realized how infuriating it is for me and I have hence since if there's a phenomenon like people watch succession together I'm like guys I'm really happy for you you can watch it I will watch it on my own time I will watch the horrible, like the 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 absolute crap with you. Mutsi dosta karoge. Yes, I cannot sit and watch it by myself. I need like. But the good stuff is just for me. Yeah, the good stuff is just for me. I like I would and a max like a party of two. But people who you know you will yeah exactly what I was saying. People who you know will appreciate the same things. Exactly. Will critique yeah. the same things. Exactly. So Not that you're looking for an eco chamber, it just it's just. You are looking for any. You want no. You want you want quiet. Like I don't want to yeah. be someone going. Also, that. oh my god, the narrative. I just oh. like the person listens to a podcast. I can imagine a nasal New York accent also. Like, oh my goodness, it's just absolutely infuriating. Is what what that was anyway. But yeah, the bells happens, and uh, at that point we're like, okay, at least let her be ruler. I don't want to see her dying. Something, then, give me something that's Game of Thrones, but no. And then Auntie Fucker comes in and <laughs> kills the Auntie. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, all this while the R plus uh, L equals J theory has <laughs> Which come. Which we completely breezed <laughs> over. We didn't even mention. Yeah, the most important plot point of why this war even began: R plus L equals J. And I think that's kind of what pissed off. George R. R. Martin. The reason we don't have anything is because he people realized. I think that was something he kept for the later books, but people realized, and that really annoyed him. And it, yeah, I think George R. R. Martin under, underestimated the power of weaponized boredom, which is yeah. right. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and you have enough people uh, speculating every possible angle under the sun. Mm. Something is going to click, and exactly. they're going to chance upon it. The age of the internet is such that you can't have uh, a suspense. You can't retain it. Somebody's eventually like even when movies happen, right? You like when um, what was before Endgame? Now when Infinity War ended, mm. and there were a million and one ways in which Endgame could have gone. 
I'm sure there were theories out there which got Endgame absolutely right the way it yeah. turned out. Sure, mm-hmm. probably. I think by by Infinity War, people were like, "Okay, Endgame is definitely a time travel movie because there's no other way they fix this." Uh, and similarly here, I mean, R plus J coming out was bound to happen. It mm-hmm. just and you know what I mean. Even if it is out, even if it is out, I mean, you know, Jon Snow is a pivotal player. This gives his uh, what do you say? His stature in the show it gives it some validation. Hmm. again it, it it all comes down to how you play it out and i feel r plus j was still handled fairly decently because this was still around season 6 season 7 where they weren't really rushing through things so uh, that was established pretty well and then you have this weird quasi incestual relationship between daenerys and john daenerys who is john's aunt uh, by by blood which is why i said at the end last episode of the show is auntie fucker comes in and <laughs> kills her Mm-hmm. which again there's drogon right there he's right there <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't bat an eye he's just like ha ah, this is some extreme bdsm gone too far yeah. and next thing you know suddenly she's dead and drogon doesn't attack john he's like oh she's dead cool let me blow some fire on the throne and melt it because more drogon is like yeah, drogon is like hmm, john didn't kill my mother the throne did so yeah. the throne must die and he understood the social the social economic impact it would have on westeros <laughs> and then he left <laughs> drogon to king of westeros so the end of this episode really reminds me of a line by ts eliot i don't remember which work mm. but the whole ends not with a bang but with a whimper mm. it's so unsatisfying to the point where you're pissed off and in one fell swoop in one season dnd so completely eroded all of the goodwill that they had of the viewers that i don't think anyone does any got rewatches mm. all the momentum they had on merchandising just fell flat yeah it, it left it, it left people with a very sour taste in their mouth and i yeah, feel it's it's not relegated to a case of what could have been mm. instead of what was mm mm-hmm. I don't think it's there's a legacy. I think if people people just remember the first four five seasons fondly, and then there's just a sense of apathy towards uh, everything else. That combined with the fact that there's no new book on the horizon, I would say the franchise is pretty much dead at this point. Yeah, I don't. I think even if there's a book does come at some point, there's no faith that the series will ever conclude. And I am not going to put my hopes in another author finishing their work. only for age to catch up with them so if it when it comes out i'll be like okay cool like maybe something to check out yeah. but even with meantime, the upcoming house of the dragon that's the whole spin off show that hbo is planning imagine the hype the show would have had had they had, yeah. concluded it uh, game of thrones properly as opposed to now it's just like ah oh, okay cool whatever i think whatever house of the thing what house of the dragon has is that it it has a set lore it's not waiting for anything else yeah i mean you know how the yeah. events of that story yeah, are like going to be you cannot all yeah because you cannot alter events in this timeline because they all every event leads Don't to them. yeah leads to the dancer dancer dragon so which is which i for me is such a wonderful probably the best story in game of thrones is what happens in the dance of dragons just it's the yeah. it's greed what greed can do to a house yeah and uh, i'm i'm 
I'm excited for it. It's not like I'm not, but obviously I ex- I approach it with a sense of caution. Uh, I am honestly not even. I I am not even sure if I'm going to watch it. Maybe I will, but a part of me is just like you. Hmm. Something died <laughs> along with season eight. Hmm. But uh, but yeah, that's that's Game of Thrones. Uh, I think that's us for. uh this week let us know what your thoughts on game of thrones are you know what if you know us personally please reach out i'll leave a little poll slash question section or question answer section on uh on the podcast for us for you to like let us know your thoughts and we'll see you on the next one take care probably do a rewatch of the first four seasons of game of thrones personally i don't know about you but i think that's where i'm headed now i might yeah mm. We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye bye. So they opened their big mouths and out came talk. Talk, talk. <laughs>